This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Militech behind the net, lost it, a feed in front, score! Barry Boulay scores the goal! Militech got stripped behind the net, and Barry Boulay was able to get that centering feed and drill it in. He was standing right in the hash marks. The Lightning answer the Drury goal. Well, that was the only goal. The Tampa Bay Lightning scored last night against the Carolina Hurricanes' first preseason game. As you heard, the Lightning update coming in. The Lightning fell 3-1. Don't really care about the results necessarily. You want to see how some of these younger players perform? Dave Michigan and I talked about it on the postgame show a bit, and we'll continue to do that today. And throughout camp, it is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Of course, I am Greg Lonelli, along with Dave Michigan, Steve Versnick producing, and we're going to be talking to you for a whole hour answering your questions and talking about what we saw last night in the game and the good, the bad, and uh, there really wasn't a ton of ugly, but we'll certainly break that all down with you. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Dave, we had talked about the uh, younger players really trying to make an impression. We said younger players. We gave four or five guys that have had a, a decent amount of experience down in Syracuse. They've played a number of games and really are knocking on the door of uh, this Lightning roster and, and maybe taking up a, a Lightning uh, spot. And we just don't know how that's going to play out. But certainly for them, these games uh, are probably a lot more meaningful than, let's say, a Nikita Kucherov. We understand the top six, uh, really the top nine, probably set in stone in some capacity. But there is an opportunity for the Bari Boulets, who you heard right there, the Radishes, and uh, the Kachuks and other players that we have discussed to, uh, if not make the team out of camp, certainly be one of the uh, first call-ups from Syracuse based off of what they can do uh, in the preseason. And at least last night, I think we, we saw some flashes from some of those players creating some offense, generating some opportunities, and on that specific goal, all three players on that line contributed. They did, uh, and I guess we can get into discussing individual performances, and we can talk a little bit about how the, the game unfolded. Did you want to get that out of the way first, Greg, or do you want to get right to the player stuff? Whatever you want to do. Well, we don't need to spend – yeah, we don't need to spend a lot of time on the game itself, but, but I thought the way the game unfolded was in many ways indicative from the Carolina side of how Carolina – likes to play and has success, meaning that when they get going, we know this from seeing the Hurricanes so much last year, eight times during the regular season, and then the five games in their second-round playoff series, when they get going, they have a ton of wind at their back. They forecheck really aggressively. They generate a lot of shot attempts. And essentially, they took over the game for a portion of the first period, starting with their first power play goal. At one point, shots were four to one lightning. The Lightning had the first power play opportunity and had a couple of pretty good looks on it. But when Carolina got its first power play opportunity and then scored on it, I think the tempo of the game, the momentum within the game did shift. That first penalty came at 7.55 of the first period. So, you know, the first seven, eight minutes, Kokiniemi's goal came at 9.07. Like, I would probably give an upper hand to the Lightning. But from that point, when Kokaniemi scored, Carolina took over the rest of the first period. They added a second power play goal. And you look at the stat line at the end of the first, and you're like, goodness, Carolina 
out-attempted the Lightning 30-12. to Face-offs were very lopsided. That was the case throughout the game. And in the first period, even when the Lightning were doing well at the beginning, face-offs were 19-3. to Carolina, we can get into that a little bit. But in the second and the third, and some of this might have been score effects, it was much more evenly played. And in fact, maybe the Lightning had a, a slight upper hand in terms of of generating five-on-five pressure. And Anderson played well. I mean, Anderson made a handful of really good saves. And if he doesn't make some of those saves, maybe we're looking at a closer game and 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 not a 3-1 Carolina final. But really, the game was lost for the Lightning, if you want to look at it that way, with that stretch of about 10, 11 minutes in the first period when Carolina jumped out to the lead and, and just threw everything at the Lightning, which is what they do, whether it's their NHL roster or a roster of some NHLers and some guys who are fighting for NHL spots and some guys who aren't going to be in the NHL this year. I think that's a credit to, to how Rod Brindamore kind of gets his team ready. So it, it wasn't it wasn't as lopsided as the first period stats might lead one to believe. But the Lightning were put into a position where they had to play catch-up, and they weren't able to to rally from what turned into a 3-0 deficit. Well, and you also referenced this as well. I thought Carolina, and maybe, Dave, this is because of the amounts of preseason games they're playing. Maybe there's a little more urgency to play more of the regulars. But I felt like their lineup was a lot more NHL-ready <laughs> than the Lightning. Yeah. And I thought you had mentioned Trocek uh, in the broadcast. He was it really felt good. Like he was dangerous uh, the whole way through, but they had a number of guys, impactful guys. Maybe uh, something you typically don't see in preseason game number one, but that could be because, again, what, Carolina only has four preseason games? Is that what we yeah. had uh, talked two about? two against and, the Lightning and two against Nashville. So maybe there, there's something to be said for that. Also, too, you know, Carolina going through uh, a decent amount of changes in the offseason. You know, Koki Nemi, you mentioned that was a big deal. Their goaltending uh, pretty much overhauled. I mean, they have some pieces there that they're trying to put together and you know perhaps there was a little bit more urgency for them to find some cohesiveness in preseason game one than uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Nonetheless, I thought the Lightning had some good pushback in that game considering they were going against a, a pretty decent lineup for preseason game number one. And I actually thought Tampa Bay got some pretty good goaltending by uh, Legacy yes. as well. You know, He's I, one of the guys. I mean, if we're going to yeah. talk about the individual performances that that kind of stood out and, and guys who maybe made a mark on that game, I have Legacy as one of the guys. So, you know, it's interesting. He played well. You know, he his only start last year was the last game of the regular season, basically a throwaway game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He shut out the Buffalo Sabres. Now, say what you want about the Buffalo Sabres. They're in a bit of a disarray. You get a shutout in the National Hockey League, you're you're feeling pretty good. You don't have to apologize for that. But, Dave, there were some people who felt like, and I'm, I'm getting to my point about legacy. I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you he's going to be uh, one of the top two goaltenders for Tampa Bay. That's not what I'm saying. There was actually some people who felt like because Tristan Jari struggled so mightily in that Islanders series that, you know, do you throw legacy in there to see if he can do something because the Smith was injured? Probably speaking more to Jari and his play than it was legacy. But he's a guy that has some NHL experience that as yeah. your third goaltender, that's not a bad play in your organization. I mean, look, the Lightning, one thing you brought up, and I, I think it's a very astute points that people need to understand that and I was one of them and I probably still feel this way 
that you know losing the third line the way they did is impactful. But you made a key point in that the guys they brought in to fill this possible void are no slouches. And let's throw in Brian Elliott. Uh, Elliott is a proven goaltender. Now, whether you want to discuss is he a starter, is he a backup, you know, a lot, at this stage in his career, he just might be a backup for the best team in the league, arguably. And Dave, all things considered, losing McElhaney, who retired, and you bring in Elliott, I think you can make the case that might be an upgrade. And every one of those veterans they brought in, there's a chance that they at least stay even in terms of the talent that they lost and what they have replacing. We'll have to find out, Dave. But yeah, I think chemistry chemistry is, is a, a big part deal. of this, too. So the forward line, not only three really good players who performed really well and were especially effective in in playoff situations the three guys had chemistry as absolutely absolutely and look it's not a coincidence as i've said to you before that the lightning win championships back to back in large part because of what that third line did obviously what kucherov and the and the best players did and and vassy you can't minimize that. Yeah, let's not forget Braden Point's 10-game goal points, streak yeah. in the Phenomenal. You need your best players to lead. But yeah. that third line you know, kind of gave the team that identity that they that they were looking for before they won that first cup against the Dallas Stars. Let's not minimize that. But the one thing that those players they brought in have to maybe expedite the chemistry process sooner is experience. And maybe, maybe having those guys, you know, it's not like you're you're filling that third and fourth line all with younger players. You're bringing in veteran established players who might be able to get that chemistry sooner. It might not happen. We'll find out. But the quality of players they got, considering who they lost, I think can't go unnoticed, Dave. And I think that does start with goaltending uh, as well, who Julian Brisewa, and we'll get to him in just a little bit, was able to bring not only to back up Vassy, but also maybe get that third goaltender in the system that in case something does happen, you can bring him up and and be okay as your backup for a few games. Yeah, and I mean, it's not nothing that no. Legacy got a game, and I guess we should expect that if he is slotted in as, as the third goalie or maybe a, a 3A, 3B, if it's going to be... I mean, I don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be all in the felt? I think that was the expectation right. going in. Uh, Miftikov played well in the prospect tournament, though. But if we're if we're under the assumption that Legacy is one of the two goalies in Syracuse, he's he's number three. Maybe he's three and a half. If if it's kind of an even split with the other goalie who is there, he got the first start out of the gate and he got the full game. So that alone tells you that he did something to earn that prior to the game in camp and in the scrimmages. And that should not go unnoticed. Again, for a guy like that who's trying to make an impression, this is what people have to understand. Some of these guys, Dave, may not sniff the NHL this year for the Lightning, but some of these guys, it may take midway through the year, maybe towards the end of the year, where they come up and it could only be for a handful of games. It might be for two weeks. But when they do come up, they want to produce. Julian Breeze will actually talk about this on Media Day a week ago. That one of 
the things that stood out for guys like, and maybe you can speak to this too, Dave, because you saw them firsthand a bit yesterday, the Kachuks, the Radishes, the Baribule, is that it's one thing to come up and play in the NHL for a game. And Julian said, a lot of guys can do that. They're not looking for that. The guys they call up need to make an impact. And that's why going down to Syracuse, they wanted to see some of these players do that for a full year, be consistently good. And now I think with the guys that we've talked about, and I think we saw that last night, Kachuk didn't look out of place. Radish didn't look out of place. Baraboule didn't look out of place. Those are players we keep hearing about, but those are the ones I think the organization, Dave, expects to uh, be at this point where they are pushing for an, a roster spot because of what they did last year at Syracuse in part for a full season as much as they could. I don't want to say dominating every game, but not going through so many lulls in their game where you know they have a two-week stretch where they're really good and then they, they fall off the face of the earth. It felt like reading between the lines a few of these guys maybe have found some consistency that the Lightning are looking for, and that in turn allows them to be in this position where, you know, if all goes well in the preseason, maybe they have a roster spot once camp breaks, or at the very least, they're that first call-up when injuries arise. Yeah, so you mentioned those guys. Let's go down the list of, of the players that I thought certainly didn't hurt their cause last night. And we talked about the four forwards that may be at, at the front of the list vying for a couple of these open spots. Kachuk, Taylor Radish, Bari Boulay, and Simon Ryfors. On the goal, Bari Boulay scored it. Great finish from the slot. Kachuk fed him the puck jumping in to, to grab the puck and hurrying it in front with a really good pass. And Ryfors started the sequence, dislodging the puck from Militech behind the net. So all three of those guys factored in on the goal. And I thought the three of them, along with Taylor Radish, all did well last night. And I don't yeah. know exactly how to frame this, but if we had a question about, are any of these guys going to, play in a way that it takes them out of the running I don't think any of them did last night I think they all showed well and maybe push the discussion to the next game whenever they get in because I think all four of those guys are going to get for sure at least one more game if not well more than one so those four guys I thought helped themselves they certainly didn't hurt themselves uh, another guy who I thought had kind of a sneaky good game, was Houdon. He was yeah. pretty effective on the power play. He led the Lightning with five shots. If you recall, he had a play in the first period where he came down the right wing and then fed Ryfors in front, and Anderson made one of his best saves of the game on Ryfors, but Houdon made the play. Like, he darted into the offensive zone and, and got the pass to the middle, and Ryfors was there. So I thought he had a he had a fairly impressive game. And then I mentioned the goaltending of Legacy. So what is that? Those are six guys that, and I'm like, I'm not kind of including Sergachev and Joseph and and Colton. I mean, I think they they went out and they kind of did probably what they needed to do to to help get themselves ready. But for the guys who need to show something in this camp, the four forwards 
that we talked about yesterday, I think all did that. I liked Houdon's game, and we mentioned the goaltending. And the one thing that, that I think all of those guys have in common, Greg, is, and, and I'll use the three guys that just signed their, their bridge deals after their entry-level contracts expired, Taylor Radish, Kachuk, and Bari Boulay. Not only did they do well last night, you could see how far they have come from even just a year ago. From a confidence standpoint, from a belief that, yeah, I belong here. I think Kachuk kind of talked about that post-game. We had Taylor Radish on after the first period. Yeah, we did. He spoke about that. He's just like, I'm just a lot more confident. You can see it. Barry Boulay got 15 games last year in the NHL, scored three goals. That helps him. And then Ryfors is in a different boat because we didn't see him last year. But, you know, he's coming off a year when he led the Swedish Elite League, Hockey League, as they call it now, SHL, in scoring, Mm. in goals. So, in goals, not in scoring. But, uh, you know, he had a very, very good year last year, and that helped his confidence that he's like, all right, I belong. Now it's just a matter of going out and doing it. And Houdon has the aforementioned NHL experience. Of, of which a number of guys kind of in that in-between <laughs> slot have, whether we're talking about Dumont or Houdon or Jamel Smith or Remielli, who played in last night's game. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised that if we are surprised, then we should be pleasantly surprised and, and not disappointed that these three guys, Bari Boulay, Kachuk, and Taylor Radish, all see this as a glorious opportunity and they're and they're being aggressive about trying to knock the door down. It's a good point. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Who impressed you last night for Tampa Bay against the Canes? Tampa Bay's next game tomorrow night at Amelie Arena against the Preds. We'll have the coverage for you starting at 6.30 on the pregame. The game call at 7. Of course, you can listen to Dave and me starting at noon tomorrow as well. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I want to get to some of your tweets that's starting to come in. We'll also hear from Julian Brisewa as well. He just signed a new deal to stay on as GM. We'll talk about that and the impact that'll have on the organization moving forward. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. It's time for Jeff Scott's Bulls to begin conference play on USF Bulls Unlimited. McLean, he's got the football. He throws. It is caught. First down and more. That's a first and goal for the Bulls. This Saturday, the Bulls are in Dallas taking on the undefeated SMU Mustangs. Pitch, it's Weaver on an end around, and he will score! Touchdown, USF! Pre-game coverage begins at 2 o'clock with kickoff at 4. It's USF Bulls Unlimited on your iHeartRadio app. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. You asked me how my summer was. Well, we won a Stanley Cup this summer. It was a great summer. Nothing else, right? Let's start with that. Uh, and after that, uh, I'm really excited about the guys we were able to bring in. And like the Corey Perrys, the Pierre Belmars, the Brian Elliotts, bringing back Zach Bogosian. I think these guys all have something to contribute to our team. They're hungry. They're fresh. They're healthy. Uh, they're competitive people. And they all decided to join our organization because they wanted to be a part of something special. So I think that bodes well for us. And we have a number of young players that are pushing and they'll have opportunities to 
earn a spot on our team, and that's always exciting as well. It is exciting, and, you know, Dave, right before we were about to go on the air for the pregame show, you started to see some traction that Julian Breezewell had signed a, uh, a contract extension with the Tampa Bay Lightning to remain their GM. I'm always fascinated by that, Dave, because uh, I think it was Pierre Lebrun who teased it on Twitter and then had a bit more news on it. I mean, we didn't get the the term or the length, and, and that stuff may never be revealed unless you know maybe one of those national writers leaks it. But I always find that very fascinating, and that is one of the few times, Dave, Twitter is valuable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit more open to acknowledging the positive aspects of Twitter, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a full laundry basket, right? Like there's, there's some brand new clothing in there and there's some stuff that probably needs to go in the garbage. There's some stuff that just, (laughs) it all, it all comes together. You need to sort through the laundry and there's some stuff that doesn't fit anymore. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you know, that, that leaked and you know, you're trying to confirm it and and we did our, our best to just make sure that was, okay to go on and and report and it was and you know when you take a look Julian's first year as GM that was the year Dave where they got bounced in the first round to Columbus and if memory serves me you know obviously that was the year that they had a a record-breaking regular season Julian Breezal really didn't do anything at the trade deadline kind of stay and he didn't he didn't have to I, I don't think many people anticipated that he would and it'd be hard to argue with that decision understanding that that team was off to a a, a tremendous start they capped it off by having a a wonderful regular season and then you know you have a chance to go up what was it four nothing in the first period when Cooch gets robbed by Bobrovsky in front and it, it felt like maybe that wasn't the signature moment of that series but it felt like after that save, Columbus, you know, went to work and and they were able to sweep the the Lightning. But the point being, after that loss, I think everybody in the organization said, "What can we do better?" And I just remember Julian Breezewell, some of the moves he made in that off season, and then John Cooper, I think, reinforcing some of the things that the team needed to do to be better and play. Uh, be harder to play against but you know, I think it kind of started in some ways with what Julian did that offseason and since then Dave I've, I feel like he's done everything you want your general manager to do who's in charge of running a team who's competing for a Stanley Cup you're trading away some assets you're trading away the future to win now the good thing about the Lightning they have a, a very good system that they're able to replenish that maybe quicker than others we've talked about that uh, a number of times. But Jolene Breezewell was not afraid to make some moves that maybe mortgage the future a bit to win now, and he found the right pieces. And I think it's put him on the map as one of the best GMs in the game, but I applaud what he was able to do during probably the most difficult time as a general manager when you're going through a pandemic, the salary cap stays flat, you're dealing with cap issues and you're still able to win back-to-back cups and retain the majority of your core players who are in the prime of their careers I I think it's something that we need to take a look at take a step back remove ourselves from the equation a bit and say you know what yeah you you nailed it 
keep doing what you're doing, but well-deserved. And uh, a guy who I think has given the Lightning the best chance to win as much as you can for a general manager in his position. Well, certainly in the last two years, he's been able to combine a bold strategy with a creative strategy. He's been both bold and creative, and he's needed to be creative so that he could be bold based on his salary cap restriction. So like last year, the deal with Savard, you know, he had to get another team involved. This team took part of the salary. Another team took another part of the salary so he could work it in. So that's being creative, but he's also being bold in that he's saying, this is a player I'm targeting and I'm willing to put my chips in the middle of the table to get him, which is something you just touched on. And I think that that deserves our respect. And not every GM has the courage to do that. And I'm not sure that it's it's a boomerang effect from the fact that he didn't do anything in 2019. I mean, I think that that trade deadline, you know, the team was going so well that I think most people legitimately felt that they didn't really need to make any moves. They liked where the team was. So that's the last two years. I keep going back to how he processed the sweep to Columbus in 2019. And, and I did a Zoom call with, I think it was with season ticket members. I've done a few of them, so I'm trying to remember what the audience was. But it was with Julian and John Cooper. And this was before last season. So I think it was before last season began. So it was in between the two cups. And I was asking Julian about how, in my opinion, he kind of threaded the needle of how he reacted to the sweep. Because I think you could go severely in one direction or the other. You could say, you know what? We got swept. This team needs a massive overhaul, and I just need to blow the whole thing up, which is hard to do in this day and age because it's not easy to move contracts. But that could be a mentality, right? You're like, we just won 62 games and got swept. We need to completely overhaul this team. The other end of the spectrum would be to say, you know, we got swept, but we did just win 62 games. And if we look at the body of work from this team, yeah, they haven't won a Stanley Cup, but we got to the final in 2015. We were a game away in 2016 and 2018 and up 3-2 in those two semifinal series, a game away from getting back to the Stanley Cup final. And we did just win 62 regular season games. Maybe we just had a bad week. And maybe we really don't need to do that much because we had the one slump that all teams go through. We just happen to have a slump when the stakes are at their highest. So you could say we're going to make all kinds of changes, or you could say we really don't need to make that many changes based on what I, what I think and what I feel about our team. And he did neither. He, he kind of split the difference, Greg. He recognized there are some areas that he felt – we need to improve in these areas. And then he made some targeted signings, whether it was Pat Maroon or Shattenkirk or the trades he made at that deadline with Coleman and Goodrow. 
and bringing in Zach Bogosian. But he certainly didn't blow things up. I mean, <laughs> the core returned. And I remember having the Zoom call with him, and I, I was kind of trying to, to understand his thinking. And when I asked the question about, like, not doing anything, like that, he was almost offended that I even was implying that. So I think doing nothing was never a part of the equation. The question was how much to do. Yeah. And I think that goes to his, like, he is aggressive. He is proactive. He sees something as a potential issue and he wants to address it quickly. And I think the question for him was, how much do I do? And it turned out that he he basically made some some changes on the edges, but they were very important changes and they were targeted changes. And not every GM can do that. You know what I'm saying? Like some GMs might say, you know what, we just need to trade all of our top guys. Let's get rid of them. We need a whole new crew in here because we just got swept. Or, you know what, we're fine. We really are fine. I mean, this was just four bad games. And a GM might think that. He yeah. didn't. He didn't. You know what's interesting, and, and we can't answer this, Dave, it's just from where we sit, is that also, too, I think there, there's pressure on those guys to perform night in and night out. So you have to understand that going into this this question or this statement. But, you know, I, I also think there was a sense of, you know, this this team coming off that loss to Columbus had been close, but, you know, we had talked about the Eastern Conference Finals with Pittsburgh being up 3-2, Washington up 3-2, losing to Chicago in the Stanley Cup Final a couple of years back before that. That was this a group that was a bit of an underachieving group. They had all the talent in the world, but what are you doing in the playoffs? And I think... That does resonate a bit because as much as those guys want to say they don't read those clippings, they don't listen to the radio, that might be the case. But, Dave, they're not idiots. They observe everything. They look around what's going on in the National Hockey League. They talk to GMs. They talk to officials. I mean, this Lightning team was one of the best organizations and is, but at the time before they lost to Columbus, was a, an up-and-coming team that had a lot of high-end skill that – maybe at times had not finished it, finished it off in the regular season and in the playoffs. And, you know, that is something I think that sticks with you. You do not want that label surrounded you, not only for this current job, but any type of job down the road that you may be applying for. You want to be somebody that, yeah, you know what? He built a championship winner. He was part of the solution. He, uh, you know, not so much the, the issue with the team. And I think... You do a lot of self-evaluating when you fail, and oftentimes that's when maybe you're at your best, when you look at this and say, okay, let's have an honest conversation about what I'm not doing right. I think everybody in that organization did, Dave, but I think great organizations do that. You're right. Somebody could have said, you know what? We're good. We're all right. You know, We're going to come back with the same team, and I, I have faith those guys are going to be better. And that might still have been the case. And that, and that group will have learned, which they did. And they did. Learn from the loss. But I think to just ensure that that was the case and you didn't have any issues, you know, you go out and you make some trades. You bring in a, a few more veteran voices. And I think you say to yourself as a general manager, all right, I'm not going to be hyperbolic in my moves. I understand what we have here. We have an elite playmaker in Kucherov and Point. We've got Victor Hemmett on the back end. And we've got the best goaltender in the world. We're not going to tinker with that. 
But you know what? Maybe we need a little bit more grit. Pat Maroon, you you willing to come here for for a couple of years? Luke Shen, you want to? Can you come in yeah, here? Yeah, I didn't and, even and maybe, mention Luke. That's, how, that's, well, that's another good point. Yeah, can you can you come in. in here and and show maybe on the back end when somebody takes a swipe at Kucherov? You know, maybe maybe you step in and, and give us a little bit more, a little more grit. And then of course the big moves at the deadline. Let's really go for it and really show teams that we're going to be a team that's hard to play against in getting Coleman and Goodrow. And I think as a general manager, you can identify those issues you have as a as a team, as an organization. I think it's another thing to act on it. And then it's another thing to nail it when you do act on it. He did that. It's almost kind yeah. of the trifecta. And now he's put in a position where he's going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. And again, I think also too, Dave, I think this is a credit to the organization as well, the people who work under Julian the ones that have to navigate the salary cap that go to him and say, look, here's what we have. Here's what we need to do to still be able to field a competitive team and one that legitimately has a chance to three-peat, I think speaks to where the organization is. They're clicking on all cylinders because I think to be a GM this time of the year in this era of, of the National Hockey League, is as challenging as it's ever been because the cap's not rising. You're paying guys to the max. Typically, you're, you're elite players, although some take a little less. And then you have to draft and develop well to fill in those those gaps. So I think, I think it's a credit not only to Julian, but Dave, who they have working with him as well. It's an interesting question, this notion that, you know, we've come close... We haven't, we haven't been able to seal the deal. Something's fundamentally wrong. Because sometimes something may be fundamentally missing. And I think the Lightning acknowledged that they needed to get a little more sandpaper in their lineup. They needed to get a little grittier, a little, a little tougher from the standpoint that you know, they weren't going to let other teams take any liberties with their high-end guys. And then there were some some elements of their game that they adjusted that had nothing to do with necessarily this player brought in or that player brought in. It was a change. And we've talked about this in their mentality of taking some risk out of their game, which they did. But you know, the lightning could have won the Stanley cup in 2015 yeah. and they could have won the Stanley cup in 2016 and they could have won the Stanley cup in right. 2018. For You've sure. just said that yesterday, yeah. Right? Yeah. right? So like, was it, was it that there was something fundamentally missing or was it just one of those years where they ran into a team that just had it put together a little bit better at the time that they faced them or a combination? And I think a great, there are a couple of examples, but a team that is currently asking those questions, a couple of teams I'm going to give you, three of them, as a matter of fact, the New York Islanders, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Vegas Golden Knights. I think these are three teams that feel really good about their chances to win a Stanley Cup. But they haven't been able to get it done. And in the, the case of the Avalanche, they, hadn't even, they haven't even gotten past the second round during this time that they've been kind of regarded as an elite team that is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. So maybe the Avalanche have more questions to answer because they haven't gotten as deep. But Vegas has gotten to a final and two semifinals and lost. And the Islanders have lost to the Lightning 
the last two years. So let's, I'm asking you like, if you're Lou Lamarillo, and I know you, you love putting on your Lou Lamarillo hat, but if you're Lou Lamarillo and you look at these last two years, do you say, all right, there's something we're missing here that we need to adjust, or we just ran into the lightning and that lightning team isn't the same team <laughs> that beat us the last two years. And we basically just need to keep doing what we're doing. And we're getting Andrews Lee back. who We didn't have last year because to the best of my knowledge, like the Islanders didn't make any massive wholesale changes from last year to this year. They are extremely close, but did they not win because there's something not there or did they not win because they happened to run into the lightning? So I think when the a, lightning were constructed the way they've been, it's constructed. a very, I know question. you have talked about like they need more offensive pop, Yeah, but I think you can win a Stanley cup with the level of offensive pop that they currently have. It's a very good question. I think that's more of a hypothetical on our part to, to think they can. I think they need more offense. I've told yeah. you that before. And, and actually and you think, have said that. And you know, to be honest, as long as the Lightning are the team they're going to have to go through, and let's be fair, they've won back-to-back -back cups. I think it's fair to say that. You know, maybe a third time is a charm. And the Islanders have beaten a lot of really good teams. They have. On the way to the semifinals. And they have. These last couple of years. And they haven't. Look, and, and it also goes to, I think, how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup, which is why what Tampa Bay is currently doing right now needs to be talked about just like when Pittsburgh won back-to-back. -back. It's an amazing accomplishment. In the cap era, it is just hard to do, and that's yeah. why going for a three-peat, legitimately, they can. If the Islanders are going to be matched up and compared to the best team in the East, the one that they're going to have to go through, and we don't know if they're going to be in this year's playoffs. Time will tell, but let's hypothetically say they do. You're still going to like the Lightning because of the elite talent at all the key positions. It's not to say the Islanders couldn't beat Tampa Bay. It's just up to this point, Dave, they haven't. And until somebody does something to the the Lightning in the playoffs, that's not going to change my opinion. I typically think talents plus hard work beats hard work any day of the week. The Lightning have that deadly combination. Ryan McDonough talked about it a couple days ago that there is and I think the whole team did. You know, Julian Breezewald talked about it. You know, are you concerned guys going to the Olympics this year and being worn out and, and being tired? And, Dave, that'll be a topic once that does happen on our show for sure. But one thing all of the players, it feels like, have said is that it's really not going to matter because all of them are very competitive guys that understand what they have in front of them is an opportunity to be really special. And I think we yeah. saw that in the playoffs last year when Tampa Bay wasn't at their best you know, or, or they weren't defending as well as we would have liked. All of a sudden, they have a game where they're blocking everything. They're playing really sound defensively and positionally. And I, I think that's probably the makings of a championship-type team, and I think that is the difference between a team like Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders. There's that it factor. So the Islanders have been a really good team. They have faced the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs the last couple of years and lost. Had they not faced Tampa Bay, could they have won a championship? Yeah, but you know what? They didn't. And they until didn't. until yeah. that happens, I'm going to sit here and say every single time, you know, the Islanders uh, in a seven-game series are, are still the underdogs, in my opinion, even if you feel like this is the Islanders' year. 
Well, I guess the way I was trying to pose the question, not so much like Greg Linnelli radio talk show host <laughs> looking at this, <laughs> but like if you were in the right. GM's chair. Yes. Do you feel that you need to be proactive to bring in players that are addressing what you talked about? Or do you feel that your group is is there and ready and, and whatever whatever fell short the last couple of years? Sure. The the group that you have will will learn and grow from that. And I don't have the answer to that. And I mean, when you look at Vegas and Colorado, they are different sorts of teams. I mean, there's no shortage of offense on Colorado, for example. So they have other questions maybe that need to be answered. But it's always an interesting thing to think about. And I tie it back to that 2019 moment when Julian Breesbaugh had to ask those hard questions. Yes. And what he came up with was standing pat is not good enough despite our our recent success in so many areas short of winning a Stanley Cup over the last handful of seasons. And you know, the Lightning and the Lightning are very thankful that he reached that conclusion, right? Like that he he felt that I need to be I need to be proactive here and, you know, and the bring thing in is, some bring in some different sorts of players. It's a really fun question to ask before the regular season because as we know Dave all these teams we're going to take a break here and, and get to our last segment and get to some questions but I'll I, I want to end on this for this segment it's fun to ask these questions before the regular season or even the playoffs because we know teams take on a, a completely different look once the playoffs begin but those three teams you mentioned and let's even throw the Islanders in there I mean you could make a case you know, are the Islanders closer to winning the ultimate prize than the other teams that you had mentioned out West? Now, uh, who knows? I mean, Zidane Char comes back to the Islanders. Does that make them a a better team? It can't hurt. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, yeah. but, you know. Well, he, he can shoot the puck, but I'm not sure he's going to address those offensive questions. That he's a serviceable defenseman still at this point, and I think there's value in bringing in somebody yeah. like that. They bring in Zach Parise. How much does he have left in the tank? I don't think he's the same player he was five years ago, and right. but he'll be motivated. He'll be yeah. motivated to at least show them that he's, he's worthy of, you know, being acquired. And they, so they did add a couple of players, but the biggest addition is one of a guy coming back from injury, and that's Anders Lee. Yes. And I like him. I like him a lot. He's, yeah. you know, a, a captain and, and a 20-goal scorer, 25-goal scorer. But I actually like – this is maybe a weird way of saying this because I, I just said as long as the Islanders have to go through the Lightning, you're going to take the Lightning, in my opinion, every time. But I actually like the Islanders team collectively more than I like – the other teams to win a cup and that's saying something because I've always been a big believer in your stars needing to win you've heard me say that over and over again I, I said that against the Islanders in the series Carolina and Florida uh, as well I, I just feel like the Lightning's elite talent is a bit better than most if not everybody's uh, in the National Hockey League and that goes for the Islanders but there is something to be said for what the Islanders have done with their organization I just think they need a, a bit more firepower if they're going to beat a team like Tampa Bay. And whether they do that at the trade deadline, Dave, or not, that's their call. They'll have to make that evaluation. But I always think it's fun at least uh, talking about that before the season starts. I want to get to some questions when we return. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Julian Breezewell resigns uh, as a GM for Tampa Bay. What do you make of that move? What has been your favorite move? 
that Julian Breezewa has made, and maybe one that you disagreed with at the time but loved uh, down the road. You can do that as well. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick is producing back after this on Lightning Power Play. When you attend Lightning Games at Amelie Arena, be sure to bring your Bluetooth headphones to listen to the Lightning Radio Call with Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito. Fire score! Kucherov! Huge goal! Log on to the Amelie Arena free Wi-Fi, and you can stream the broadcast through the NHL app with no latency. Enhance your Bolts viewing experience with Dave and Phil on the call right in your seats. Sivazalewski! A miraculous stop! For more info, go to tampabaylightning.com. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Get those questions in. Greg Linnelli, Dave Michigan, for you, Steve. I paused there, Dave, because I wasn't sure if uh, Steve was going to play sound. Sometimes he does. He tells me, Greg, I'm playing sound coming in, and I talk all over him. But thank God he has my my mic potted down because I'm talking to myself when that usually happens. But that's where I gave the little audible there. I want to get some questions here. Bob, our good friend Bob. Who, by the way, his Twitter handle, Stanley Cup Champs, 04 and 20 and 21. So if you don't know how many Stanley Cups Tampa Bay has won in their franchise history, follow Bob and you'll know. <laughs> he changes he changes he that does. pretty frequently, doesn't he? Oh, he does. He? he does. He's crafty, and I like that about Bob. He said, one of the areas I hope for improvement in the new season is face-off wins. Yesterday, although a preseason game, winning only 28% is a concern. Again, mostly not regular players in the lineup. What do you guys make of that? Well, the Lightning had a bad night last night in the dot, especially in that first period. We look at last year's regular season. Carolina was the third best face-off team in the NHL. So they have they are a good face-off team yeah. generally. Where did Regardless. the Lightning finish last year? I'm looking at regular season. The Lightning were at 16th at 50.1%. So at the end of the day, the end of the 56 games anyway, in the regular season, the Lightning were were okay. I mean, they were at 50%. You would like to see that maybe go up. But, you know, they were in a division last year with some really good face-off teams too, Carolina being one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nashville had some really good faceoff guys in the playoffs. The Lightning were at forty-eight point one percent, and they saw Carolina in the second round. The Islanders actually did fairly well. So did Florida. So Florida was at fifty-one percent. That was in that series against the Lightning only, and the Islanders were just under fifty-two percent. So the Lightning saw some teams that did well in the playoffs on face-offs. But Bob's question was about this year. So if we're saying the Lightning want to do better than 50.1%, how can they do it? Well, last night they saw a lot of Trocek, who is one of the best in the league. He was 7-0 and in the first period. He finished 13-5. and So after the first period, he was 6-5. and Stepan is no slouch. He was 12-6. and And the youngster, Jack Drury, had, he had a really good game, Greg, overall but he also had a good night in the faceoff circle he went 10 and 5 yeah. so of the guys the lightning dressed last night colton figures to be you know a guy who's going to be in that center position he actually did the best out of the the guys who took the most faceoffs he went 7 and 10 ryfors had a tough night he went 4 and 13 and cam mcdonald went 2 and 11 
and then Jack Finley went three and eight. So meaning one three lost eight. Right. So of the guys I just mentioned, it's not like the Lightning are going to be using a lot of them. I mean, even if Rye Forest makes the team, is he going to be used in that face-off capacity? I, I don't I don't know if I have the answer to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who is their best face-off guy, you think, so, this year, Dave? So you're talking about the Lightning? Yeah. They added Belmar. Yeah. And statistically, He's Belmar had the best face-off percentage of any player on the Lightning this year. So Belmar last year was a notch under 61%. That's tremendous. That's like league leading type numbers on faceoffs. And he he takes a lot of shorthanded faceoffs because he is a prime penalty killer. And if you can win faceoffs while killing penalties, that's a that's a great asset to helping you kill a penalty because if you can win the faceoff and get it down the ice, then you're going to put yourself in a position to, to kill a lot of time right off the bat to start the penalty kill. I was looking at Belmar's kind of trajectory, if you will, and what's interesting, like the 60, 60.8, I think, was his percentage. I'm going to pull it up right now. So I'm, I'm getting he's the He's had a couple exactly of years, right. I think, where he's been at so, 60. So that's the thing. That was yeah. his best ever. Yeah. But he has had several years where he has been quite good. So... As it's loading, pregnant pause here. So last year he was at 60.75. They're giving me two, two numbers after the decimal, so down to the hundredths of a percentage. The year before he was 53.04. year before that, 54.72. And then his first year in Vegas, which was their inaugural season, he was at 51.15. His time in Philly, he was under 50%. So he, is, he has now f- had four years in a row over 50%. And the last three, he was over 53%. And last year, he cracked 60. So it may be a situation, Greg, he's a lefty, and the Lightning like using the lefties when it's to the left of the goalie in the defensive zone and and a righty when it's to the right of the goalie in the defensive zone. But they have some righties. Like, Stamkos is a good face-off man, and maybe he will be asked to take key draws in certain situations. And maybe they will they will use Belmar. If Belmar is up around sixty percent again this year, he will take some on his weak side. He's going to I mean, be up Bergeron there all the time. takes them on his weak yeah. side. Yeah, right. So right. he may be used beyond five on five and beyond penalty kill. If it's a key draw, Coop may send him out there. Yes, to take. I it. would agree. With so that. so what's going to happen is you're not going to have the the four centermen, or maybe if you're going to include some guys who take faceoffs who who don't necessarily quote unquote play center but they're they're asked to win draws in certain situations or guys are thrown out so another person has to come in and take a draw it may not be like whatever the number is six players total faceoffs divided by six like we, we may see the top guys taking the most faceoffs because they're that good if you have a specialist you're going to use that specialist i'm not sure the lighting had a guy who filled that role last year but maybe Belmar will be that guy I'm not trying to put a ton of pressure on him right off the bat here but to answer Bob's question like yeah you don't want to go three and 19 in the dot in any period but if you have a guy who is more than regularly reliable that's going to help offset those nights when things are just not going your way and then the thing that Phil talks about a lot 
you gotta have you gotta have your forwards help out. I mean, yeah. there are there are some wins that are on the centermen, some losses that are on the centermen, but many of them are on the the group of five and specifically the other two forwards to come in and win a loose puck when it's a 50-50. But I mean, specifically to Bob's question, so you got Belmar, you've got Stamp Ghost, who statistically was their best yep. face-off man last year. <clears throat> and Braden Point is a guy who who rebounded from the regular season and was better in the playoffs as he was two years ago. Remember we talked to Jeff Halpern about Pointer near the end of the regular season when he was on. He's like Pointer tends to really bear down when the stakes go up. Concentrate and, a little bit more. Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> That's what it's it was, funny that he said know? that. Yeah. And also the Lightning aren't seeing Carolina eight times. That's a good point. That's a great point. I mean, and you know, Barkoff. You know, you're not seeing Barkov all the time. Like right, and, the, and I mean, the teams that are in their division, sure. they're only seeing four or three Correct. times. They're not seeing eight times. Correct. Um, I went on there, but, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to add. No, that's a fair point. And, you know, you're going to have Sorelli as well, who's, you know, yeah. hopefully going to be better in, in the circle and continue to make Yeah, and I mean, Sorelli and Colton and the guys who may be asked to, to take faceoffs regularly, like, they should strive to be 50% or better. This we'll see goes, if they can get there. We've got one more minute left. This question comes from Dan. He and it kind of goes to what we were just talking about with Belmar. But he, he wants to know what type of player, what type of production should we expect from Belmar this year? Well, didn't he joke that he's he's not a top six? He's not right a there. top six goal scorer. <laughs> like he can score, but yeah. he's going to be extremely reliable, hard to play against, good penalty killer, win faceoff, smart player too. Like you can see he. He, he knows skate. where to go. Yeah, can skate. Yeah, you know, on the ice. He's got great – yeah, he's a great skater. But I got to be honest, Greg. I mean, we've only seen him really intermittently these last four years. Yeah. Not at all last year. And then the year before, you know, just a couple of times a year. We saw him more when he was in Philly. But, you know, he may not be quite the same player he was when he when he joined the NHL for those first couple of years. Yep. As, for as sure. just evidenced by his faceoff percentage that has gone up. Yeah. Um. New team, new role. We'll see how that uh, all plays out. Uh, we'll get to a couple more questions tomorrow as we get you set for the second preseason game. Tampa Bay taking on Nashville. Games at 7. Pre-game will start at 6.30, but Dave and I will be on the airwaves at noon right here on Lightning Power Play. Partner, great job as always. Uh, great job on the call yesterday. It was the first time in a little bit, right, that you were doing the game by yourself. And Yeah, I was thinking know, about it. So Kaylee went on her first maternity leave right before the pandemic. So I want to say there were a couple of road trips before we paused the season that I was doing games by myself. But it had been a while, both before that little stretch and certainly after, because the last the last two seasons, like the bubble part, yeah. and then last year, I didn't do any games by myself. So right. that was a little different. Yep. You pulled it off like you always do. And um, tomorrow we'll be back in the saddle, and Phil will be there with us, right? Tomorrow? Yeah. Is that right? So that'll be yep. fun. It'll be good it'll, to see it'll Phil be good to see everybody. And, get back, and get back to working alongside no him again. All right, partner. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Great talk job to you tomorrow. today. All right. Thanks to uh, Steve Ersnick as well. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. We'll do it again starting at noon tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.